So have you known someone, I certainly have, for whom um, you have learned to stop asking the question, how are you doing? You ever known that person? Like I've known some people that instead I've had to say, hey, good to see you, but it doesn't matter because even if I say good to see you, they're like, well, my back's out, my knees hurts, and I'm gonna need a new washing machine soon. You ever known that person? Like, and you're like, I didn't ask, I didn't wanna know. I knew the answer, right? Things aren't going well because things never seem to be quite going well because they are a complainer. Have you ever known a complainer? Are you a complainer? Like, have you ever known someone that just, they seem to be happier when their team loses so they can have something to complain about? You ever known that person? Or they like complain about Christmas? Or they complain about something free? Like they get a free t-shirt and they're like, well, I don't like the color and it's wrong size. It was free! I mean, listen, we, if you don't think that the complaining is such a big deal in our culture, just go to Google, that's all you have to do, and type in complaint line, and all of a sudden, you'll be so surprised at, at what starts coming up. Complaint line for the IRS, for USP, all the big boys, McDonald's, Home Depot, family, my favorite one is the last one, complaint line for COVID. Can I get that number? Yes, COVID, I'd like to speak to a manager. Yes, could we end this already with the pandemic? We're done, thank you, thank you. Who do you get to talk to? We have an entire industry built for complaining. It's called customer service, right? It's an entire industry, an entire segment of companies is built for complaining because no one ever calls up customer service and says, hey, Spectrum, I'd just like to tell you my cable's working great today. Right, the internet is smooth and clean. It's super fast today. I just wanted you guys to know. You've never made that call, right? You call to complain to customer service. That's just what we have a, a culture of complaining and the internet, social media, has just given us another forum to complain. And this is how it often starts on social media. I don't do this often, but I just had to speak my mind Hint, they do this often. They might not type it often, but they think it often. They say it to some friends often. What's interesting about uh, this is what we're complaining about often. Have you ever thought about it? That the Wi-Fi is too slow? That the fast food isn't fast enough? Can I give you a confession of something that is so easy to just seep into my vernacular that really is a complaint that I've had to work on? I'm tired. You struggle with that one? How are you doing? I'm tired. I've had to work on getting that out of my vernacular so that that's not just my response when someone asks how, I do, how I'm doing. It, maybe that's for you, it's like, oh, I'm just so busy, right? I'm just so bored. I'm so stressed right now. It's just so easy, uh, it's just so easy to, to say that. Why does, why does it matter? Because words matter. Proverbs 18.21, which is sort of the, the premise of our whole series here, says, says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. Our words don't, uh, 
don't just rest alone. Our words matter. They have a weight to them. They, uh, they are not innocuous and they are not harmless. Our words, we think maybe just, we may, it may be saying just one sentence, but they are louder than we realize. Our words, they matter. In fact, the Bible says this over and over. Proverb after proverb says that words matter. When Jesus was asked about eating unclean foods, he turned it into a conversation about words. He's like, what goes in your mouth doesn't make you unclean. Come on, guys. What comes out of your mouth is what makes you unclean. The Apostle Paul talked about it. James, the brother of Jesus, talked about it. He said that a word, one word, can be like a spark that lights a whole forest on fire. Maybe you've experienced that. Someone said a word, maybe you said a word, and it lit a fire. And that word became more powerful and more harmful. Words carry life and they carry death. So in this series, we're going to talk about some of the ways that uh, our words and our tongues can, um, can be kept in check. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is really important. We sort of have to do it. We sort of have to do it because this is how Christ's followers are supposed to speak. This is how we're supposed to use our words to not bring death but to bring life. So I hope you'll take these seriously if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not, we're so honored that you're tuning in. We're so honored that you're here that maybe you've come with a friend. And I just want to tell you that I think this will be helpful for you too. I think that this will be applicable for you. You'll find that it's true. The world would be a better place if we would, if we would follow these. But I want to say something here that I think is so important, and that's why there's a parenthesis section in this series. Because the words we say now have a new platform in our modern culture. And this was written, this proverb was written over 2,000 years ago, probably about 3,000 years ago. But I think that if it was written today, there would be an addendum to it. There would be something else that it said. It would include something besides just the words we say. It would include the words we type. So this verse is not in the Bible. This is the Carter International Version, okay? Because I think the keyboard has the power of life and death too. Because the tongue is what we say, but what we put on the keyboard is just what we say on a screen. And the fact is, they might have more power. They certainly have more staying power because someone can screenshot them. They live forever. They are the text that someone keeps looking at, the email that someone keeps reading, the post that they keep pondering on. The keyboard has the power of life and death too. And it's a whole nother layer. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at something that the Apostle Paul said about when our words are full of complaints in the book of Philippians. Now, the book of Philippians has a theme that is about this choosing joy over circumstances. Choosing joy over circumstances that are hard. In fact, that famous verse is in Philippians, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But that verse is in the context of Paul talking about, I have learned to be content with all things. I have learned what it means to be with little, and I have learned to me know what it means to be with a lot. So there's this whole context of that in, the, in Philippians of, of, of joy over circumstances. 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking when you're going to read this. It's so easy to read this from Paul and say, well, you know, that's so easy for you to say, Paul, but if you had had my week, or if you had had my boss, if you had my family, if you had my neighbors, Paul, if you had my problems, you'd have something to complain about. Well, let me just tell you, friends, we do not want to go there with Paul. Because the book of Philippians was written while Paul was in a Roman prison cell under what most scholars believe during the time of the emperor Nero over Rome, who was the most antagonistic and aggressive and brutal emperor in his treatment of Christians. Nero popularized the sport of feeding Christians to lions in the Colosseum just so everyone in Rome could come and watch. He was known for lighting Christians on fire tied to the stake. He literally used them as his garden lanterns. So if you think, you know, if Paul had my problem, let me tell you something, you ain't got Paul's problems because he had the reason to believe that he was next. And it was any moment that his head would be cut off, that he would be fed to the lions or that he would be tied to the stake. But in spite of his captivity, in spite of his persecution, Paul pointed to a better way. And if we could follow his way, Paul said that it will make all the difference. We're going to start off in Philippians 2. We're going to read a few verses, and then we're going to look into Philippians 4. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 14. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. If you've got your Bibles there, if you want to take one, if you're here in the room, take one at the bookshelves when you leave. We want to give that to you. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Let's just read that together, okay? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Let's try it one more time, but mean it this time. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. If you're watching at home, put it in the chat. Put everything, everything. Do everything without grumbling or complaining and arguing. Friends, we can't hardly do anything. We can't do anything without grumbling or without arguing. And Paul says, and and here's what I think, we don't want to be known for that. I don't want to be known as a complainer. And Paul says, I don't want you to not even not be known as a complainer. Paul says, never complain. And of course, I read this and I go, everything's pretty big, like Paul. Yeah, you're in the back, yeah. Paul, do you mean everything, everything? Carpool line? Yes. Monthly reports? Yes. Working out? Yes. What about waiting in line at the DMV? Yes. What about Mondays, Paul? Yes. What about when I pay taxes? Yes. What about when I watch the news? Yes. What about referees and umpires? Paul, could I get a pass on that one? Yes. Most things... A lot of things, can we make it a lot of things? What if the verse said, in a whole bunch of things, do a whole bunch of things without grumbling or complaining. Paul said, do everything. Everything, Paul? Yeah. Even this thing. And this thing. And this thing. And this thing. See, these have given us a whole new forum, a whole new platform to complain. Now, I actually think TikTok and Instagram have different problems. We'll talk about sometime. 
But Twitter is basically an argument. It's basically a 24-7 online argument. The great thing about Twitter is you can argue with people you don't know. In fact, most people go online, go onto Twitter, actually looking for an argument. And I, so I want you to know that I made a decision a long time ago, and I love Twitter. Twitter is my favorite social media platform. I, I love it. Um, and so, uh, because I love that I can connect with people that I don't know, that I can connect to people all across the world. But I made a decision a long time ago, a personal commitment, that I was not going to argue online, on social media, about two things that I care deeply about, sports or theology. Made a commitment. And I want you to know that sometimes I want to so badly. I want to get on there and get on all caps and say, that's the stupidest thing I have ever heard. That's a terrible take. What are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. I want to so badly, but because of I made a decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to do that, I never do it. And let me tell you something, that I have never regretted not doing it. I have never once woken up in the morning and thought, gosh, I really regret not getting in a Twitter argument yesterday. But it's easy to wake up and say, how did I let that get too far so far? Right? How did I let that get so far? Now, Facebook's different. The words we say on Facebook are different. Oftentimes, we complain on Facebook because we are fishing. Do you know that? We're fishing. We like to complain on Facebook because we're fishing, and we love to do it in just such a abstract way. We, we, this is what we say. We th- say things like this. Bad headache this morning. Or on like Tuesday, we'll, we'll, we'll post, ugh, is it Friday yet? Or this is my favorite one. It's so, it's so uh, abstract. I swear, comma, some people. And what do you think people are going to respond? You are doing that and I am doing that. We do that because we are fishing for positive reinforcement comments. What do you think people are going to say? Here's what we know that they're going to say because this is what they put in the comments. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. You're going to make it. Hugs and kisses. You deserve better. Thoughts and prayers. Who do I need to come beat up? It's so easy to do it because it feels good. You're not complaining. You just want to, you're just on a fishing expedition. Now, later on, we're going to see that Paul offers a solution to this and an idea of how we can, and I have an idea of how we can live it out online. Paul has a solution, and I have an idea of how to live it out. <clears throat> but before we can move on, can we talk about one more everything that we like to argue and grumble about online? It's kind of the biggest everything of all. Politics. We love to get on social media and grumble and complain about politicians, about uh, and air our grievances. We love, we love to do that. And here's what I here's what I can't figure out. 
It's like we don't understand that when we get online and we complain about politics and we're typing it out and I can't stand this and I don't like this guy and I don't like that guy and boom, let me get the caps lock on. <clears throat> that when we're doing that, we are complaining, we are arguing, we are grumbling to every person on our feed. And 20 years ago, 20 years ago, you never ever would have thought of calling up your friends from high school, your friends that you grew up with in your hometown, your friends that you went to college with, your friends from your first job, your friends in the neighborhood, your friends at church. You would never thought of calling up all thousand, two thousand, three thousand of them and going, hey, I just wanted y'all to know this politician stinks. Because you said, probably would have said, well, that, that seems a little aggressive. And every time you complain about politics or grumble or argue about politics and press enter on social media, that's exactly what you do. Complain to every single person on your friends list. When did we start thinking that was okay? When did we start thinking that that was a good idea or a good thing to do? And some of you are going to say, well, it's just my personality or it's not that big of a deal or I'm just having fun. And Paul says it's a big deal. In fact, Paul says it does something to you if you are a Christ follower. It dulls you. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's what Paul says. So that, if you will do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. What Paul says is that this is an issue of what is a really churchy word. This is an issue of sanctification. This is an issue of being made holier, of being made more pure. This is an issue of discipleship. This is an issue of being made into the image and the likeness of God. This is an issue of us becoming sanctified and purified as apprentices of Jesus. And if we grumble and complain and argue about things, whether it's online or at the office or around the dinner table, Paul says it is evidence of a cheap grace, the kind of grace that we want to save us but not sanctify us and the kind of grace that we want to get us into heaven but not heaven into us. That's a cheap grace. Grace is better than that. It's richer than that. It's stronger than that. It's a kind of grace that doesn't just wants to save you, wants to purify us, make us more holy. And our world, Paul says that our words can set us apart in a world that is obsessed with complaining, that is obsessed with arguing, that is obsessed with grumbling. Paul would say, listen, you're not going to stop complaining in this crooked and depraved generation. You're not going to stop political bickering online in this warped world we live in, but you can look different. Church, you can look different. I can look different. We can look different. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago to go into all the world and declare the good news, to baptize the nations, people of all over. And for 2,000 years, 
the church asks the question, how in the world could we go into all the world and Mark Zuckerberg and at Jack gave us access to the whole world and we've used it to argue about politics and complain about gas prices? <laughs> and we look just like the world. Paul says, our words are part of our witness. You can't separate them. They're part of our witness. They make us pure and holy in a world that is full of ugly words and negativity and complaining and grumbling and arguing. They matter. And this could be our calling card. And Paul takes it a step further in the next part of the verse then you will shine among them like stars in the sky if you would do this if you would take this words if you would take these actions if you would take this advice you will shine like a bright star you will look different than the rest of the world and the opposite is true too what Paul is basically saying is complaining compromises your shine it dulls you. It makes you look like everybody else. In what he, remember, he's speaking specifically to Christians. He's speaking specifically to Christians. We have the light of Christ in us. And Paul says when we complain and grumble and argue, that it gets cloudy. It's harder to see that light. But Paul says if you would just heed these words, if you would just take this advice, if we would change this one thing, baby, you're going to shine. You're going to shine like stars in a world filled with negativity and looking at the worst side of things. And then later on in chapter four, so you would say like, okay, I want to do that, but it's kind of hard to just stop cold turkey, right? How do I do that? What, what, what are the steps to take that I could do that? I want to shine for Jesus. In chapter four, Paul gives an alternative and a solution. This is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul says, I want you to rejoice in always, in every circumstance. One of the biggest things you can do, Paul would say, is turn this complaining into rejoicing because the Lord is near. It's not about your circumstances. It's not about your circumstances. It is about that Jesus is with you. We rejoice in Jesus. And then Paul gives an alternative. This is kind of like, whoa, an alternative to complaining. Remember, same book, just a couple chapters later. This is an alternative to complaining. Do not be anxious about anything. So like when something like, like gets at you, when the fast food isn't fast enough and the Wi-Fi isn't fast enough, when somebody says something, when, there's, when you're anxious don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, remember that look sounds just a lot like that and do everything. In every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul says, here's a solution. When you feel like you have something that is making you anxious, when you have something in your heart that feels like it's making you want to grumble or argue or complain, here's something you can do instead. Pray about it. Take it to God. Pray about it in everything. When you're upset because your kid didn't make the team, pray about it. 
When you're upset with your kid's teacher, pray about it. When you're upset about something's going on in the neighborhood, pray about it. When you think you want to go talk to the manager at the fast food restaurant, how about pray for the manager at the fast food restaurant? When you're upset with a local politician, pray about it. Paul, are you talking about in everything? In everything, pray about it. Because here's what I think Paul would tell us. If it's not worth praying about to God, it's not worth about complaining about to someone else. Pray about it. Pray about it. Take it to God. And then Paul says, something mystical will happen within you. Then, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then, there will be a peace that will come over you that transcends all understanding. It will not even make sense to people around you. The peace of God will be on you. It will guard your heart. It will protect your mind. When you feel like, I just want to say it. Paul says, no, there will, if you'll just take it to God, when you've got that something you want to grumble about, if you will grumble to God, he can take it. There will be a peace that comes over you. And then Paul offers an antidote or the solution to this complaining and arguing impulse. You say, like, I would, that's great, I'm going to take it to God, but how can I even just change these thoughts in my mind where I just think negative and I just think complaining? Paul says, think about what you're thinking about because the good far outweighs the bad. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Are you complaining because you're thinking about the worst things? Paul says, think about the best things. We complain and we grumble because we think about the wrong things. And Paul says, you need to think about what is pure and holy and good and true and excellent and praiseworthy. Paul says, it's simple. It's a lack of perspective. I started pastoring in summer of 2000 pastored a little country church, and um, i never forget that first fall of my first year at my first church, and uh, my whole church knew that I was a pretty big college football fan, and it's inevitable if you're a preacher and you're a college football fan, you're going to have a Sunday that you walk in and your team lost the previous day, and um, so week two of the season, uh, we lost to a team we had no business losing to because we threw five interceptions. Could we please throw it to the right color jerseys? Come on. <clears throat> but I'll never forget, I'll never forget, waking up that Sunday morning, and I was ready to church. I was ready to go to church. I was ready to, I was ready to, I, the five, they were done. The game was done. It's time for church. It's time for worship. And I, I was, you know, at a more traditional church, so I put on a suit, went ready to go preach. Uh, I didn't even think about what suit I was putting on. Put on a suit and tie, and I get out of my car, and in the parking lot, one of the men in the church says, well, I figure you'd be wearing black today because you're in mourning. Mm. About five interceptions? About a loss? 
I thought to myself, I am about to go preach the good news of Jesus Christ about this Savior who gave himself up for me, who died in my place so that I might experience eternal life and whose spirit now lives in me and I can hear his direction and I can hear his calling so that I can one day stand before the Heavenly Father blameless and pure and have my mansion built right beside the streets of gold with all the saints of old. And you think I'm worried about five interceptions. Are you thinking about the wrong things? Think about the right things. What is good, what is holy. Because if we will think about the right things, we will say the right things. And we will type the right things. Because our words are part of our witness. And listen, church, this is really important. The world is watching and listening. And every day, reading. And this question ought to send chills down the spine of every follower of Jesus on planet Earth. If the words you say and the words you type on social media are the only thing that someone who doesn't know Christ ever hears or sees from a follower of Jesus, will they be attracted to Jesus? Because I can promise you one thing. If they're not a Christian, there's a good chance they're not going to crack this book open any day of the week but they're going to read your feed every single day. And if we would take this seriously, we could shine like stars in a world desperately in need of light breaking through the darkness. Let's take seriously that our words are part of our witness.